Welcome to the new episode of the Circular Plastic Podcast. In this edition, we will be taking a dive into the world of legislation in dialogue with TOPSO expert Sylvain Vedier, Senior Strategy Manager in the Strategy and Innovation Team. We will be enlightening you on the main policies from different regions that are impacting the circular plastics industry and what we see as the outlook for the years ahead. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming actually a colleague of mine from Topso, Sylvain Verdier, that has been working side by side with me for, for many years. And I will ask Sylvain actually to introduce himself instead of me trying to present and digest all of his expertise in a short intro. Sylvain, welcome and please tell us a few words about yourself. Melissa, thank you for welcoming me to your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. So I've been working uh, with you indeed in TOPSO for the last 15, 16 years, different positions, and I'm currently working in the strategy department, focusing a lot on low greenhouse gas fuels and a bit on uh, chemicals. So it's a pleasure to be here today and to discuss about regulations and plastics waste. So that was actually my next thing. I wanted to say that uh, what we will be doing today is basically having a conversation together on the regulations available for plastic waste. Somehow it includes a number of components and maybe even some of them are broader. They're maybe in waste in general. Some of those are related to plastic and some are related to recycled plastic. I wanted to actually ask you two questions. One is on uh, your experience with podcasts, if you could tell us a little bit more about that. And another thing is your experience with regulations. I mean, you're not, how do you say, regulations expert, neither am I, but we do actually still touch on that in our work and try to bring some of the knowledge that we acquire to our customers. So can you tell me a little bit about those two things, just to set the scene, what the audience can also expect from that conversation, given that neither you nor I work with regulatory affairs on daily basis? Yes, so I've been a host of a podcast called Fuel for Thought for the last four years, focusing on low greenhouse gas renewable fuels. And then with respect to regulation and legislation, I started looking at this for fuels about five, six years ago, because this is really the driving force for the decarbonization journey that both road and aviation are doing, and now the marine segment is also entering. So that's really, really crucial to master this, because it will influence the feedstocks, the technology, the LCA you need to meet and so forth. So it's really, really critical. For me, it's a glue connecting all the dots, as I used to say. And I believe for plastic and recycling of plastic and waste, it's also quite critical, although a bit different. What do you think about regulation and plastic? Do you think it's similar to what's happening for fuels or is it a different approach? I think it's it's a slightly different approach. I think the fuels uh, regulations are more advanced, maybe hence a bit more clear, they are also omnipresent. So I think the fuels are regulated and mandated in most of the world, while um, when it comes to plastics, Europe is somehow the forerunner. And therefore, I think we will focus on Europe today, given that so much is to be discussed and probably it will serve as inspiration for the other countries around the world or the other geographies. So absolutely, whether it's a glue that holds everything together, I don't know, but it is present across all the activities and you really need to be in control of what you're doing somehow to and be aware in order to bring some of these projects 
that we are talking about up and then again it all hangs together my first question for you is uh, because plastic is not new to me but a bit so what is the philosophy at eu level about plastic and plastic wastes i know it's quite complicated but what is in place and what is it addressing exactly Yes, so essentially it's a number of regulations and I think we can go through them maybe one by one through the step of when you basically generate waste, how do you maybe prevent the waste generation and how do you let's say ship it around and how can you reuse that waste as well to make maybe some new products. But the plastic regulations in the EU are not new. In the last 20 years or more, we've had some awareness of plastic waste being detrimental and trying to regulate that. So throughout the time you've had bans on or, or control of, let's say, marine pollution, bans of plastic bags, etc. And also waste directives are certainly not something new. So we have things like hierarchy of waste introduced already many, many years ago, saying, for example, that you do want to try and prevent the waste and reuse the waste, try and, let's say, refurbish things, maintain them better, and then finally uh, recycle them. And as the last resort, you want to landfill or incinerate your waste. So somehow those concepts are not new at all. What has also been around are certain recycling targets. So those have been around maybe for 15 years or so. Do you have any numbers about this recycling target, Milica, by any chance? Well, I have, and it's 50% in 2025. But what I wanted to refer to was this uh, action plan for a circular economy, which uh, EU came with in 2015. And uh, then having the strategy on plastics in a circular economy which came a couple of years later. Those are somehow part of this ambition that we have in the Green Deal of being carbon neutral and fully circular for Europe in 2050. Milica, if I remember correctly, when we discussed over the years, I think in 2018, the European Union came up with this plastic strategy plan. Or how was it called? The European Plastic Strategy, right? Yeah. And to me, that was quite central to the, yeah, the whole discussion around plastic, how it should be designed, but also how it should be recycled. Could we say a few words about that and how maybe is it a, like a cornerstone for the current plastic strategy? Yeah, so, so that strategy had several objectives, protecting the environment, reducing marine litter, reducing the emissions, and also regulating the dependence on the important fossil fuels. So it had a number of elements trying to basically yeah, make recycling profitable, prevent the waste, first of all, and um, drive somehow the innovation and investment in that space or in the circular economy space, which I would say uh, lacked some development at the time. At EU level, uh, these days, people might have heard about the Green Deal or Repower EU. Is plastic somehow connected to that or it's very different and it has nothing to do with it? Is there anything you can share with us, Melissa, about this? Well, it is connected, right? So as such, it feeds into the Green Deal. And then again, there are some regulations which link the end of life for plastic. For example, when you do incineration, you uh, may be doing the cogeneration of power, 
and electricity. So you may be actually, you know, producing the energy, hence linking the this source of energy to the other regulations which deal with the energy sources in the EU. Melitza, earlier in the introduction, you mentioned the circle of plastic. So you start from plastic waste and you go back to plastic. And you said there were regulations on each step. Should we go briefly through that circle of plastic and describe the key regulations that are being discussed and in place? What do you think? Sure, we can do that. But before we come to waste, you know, maybe there is this thing about trying to prevent waste, trying to design your products better so that they last longer that they are easier to recycle. So there are certain regulations related to that. I'm happy to elaborate further on what you just mentioned. So the design of plastic and how to minimize waste. Do you want to say anything about that? I think uh, we can mention the eco design or the guidelines for design for recycling. And then also the product environmental footprint that are the things that have been around also for some time, but are being built on and used increasingly. I think as we learn more about the recycling, so it's a feedback loop where you're in a better position to actually design products that contain the types of materials that can be recycled together or even a monomaterial product. So there's a lot of things that can be done in order to stop the generation of plastic waste. And there are activities and regulations in that space as well. Milica, stupid question from my side. Is it plastic like I use, consumer plastic, or is it any sort of plastic used for cars, for building, for medical purpose? All these directives to recycle plastic or to make plastic more recyclable? I think it's for all the industries. So you will have um, these guidelines for the number of industries and then specifically depending on obviously functionality that is desired and this performance, they will vary how much you're maybe expected to do. If I start with uh, plastic waste, what kind of regulations are around this? And I know, I guess there are many and it's member state dependent at EU level, but uh, yes, top three regulations around plastic waste in your head. I think that would probably be the plastic waste tax, which is imposed at the EU level. We also see it in the UK. What was it? 800 euro per ton, right? Yes. Non-recyclable. Yes. Not recycled plastic. It is. And um, then we have the already mentioned packaging, packaging waste uh, regulation, and then the waste framework directive. However, again, I mean, the whole content of your plastic will probably change with time slowly as the regulations on the, the product design and the PEF, product environmental footprint, become more of a standard. So as such, there will be these other regulations indirectly affecting, let's say, the nature of your plastic waste. What is this waste framework directive about? Is it what each member state should do with waste? How much should be recycled? Or what is this about exactly? So that actually introduces this waste hierarchy, which also provides certain uh, definitions of waste, recycling, and then uh, recovery. And um, there's also a very important definition of the end of waste, maybe something that, you know, will be revised, but a number of these things are uh, in this directive. And it also uh, introduced certain concepts like the polluter pays principle, the extended producer responsibility. So some of these concepts that put the burden 
on the company that places the packaging on the market. So basically, it's in the title. It's a waste framework. It gives a framework around waste. So it's uh, pretty clear. So now I have my plastic waste and I have these tags on waste. I'm told, okay, how much should be recycled and so forth? How should the plastic waste be designed? How the plastic should be designed? And I want to recycle, but I guess the next step is, can I ship my waste? Let's say I'm in Denmark and I want to ship my waste to Sweden. Is that possible? Or are there any regulations about uh, waste shipment by any chance? Yes, that would be the waste shipment regulation. <laughs> Leading question. <laughs> well, it goes two ways, right? It is about, uh, or at least their latest revision is really trying to regulate the export or to ban the export outside of the EU. I think for the sake of everyone, somehow to both prevent the pollution in the countries where the EU was exporting its waste to and then not following up what happened to that waste, but also to spark somehow the innovation and the developments that go together with such high circular economy ambitions in Europe. So Europe is then, by keeping its waste inside its boundaries, Europe is also forced to um, come up with creative solutions that will make it maybe a front runner in the circular economy. I can connect that to maybe uh, fuels, which is more my segment, because also there's a high ambitions to make fuel from uh, solid bergenic waste. And municipal solid waste is actually on the list Annex 9, where basically Europe is promoting use of such feedstock to make fuels, especially sustainable aviation fuels or marine fuel. So indeed, it is quite interesting that, uh, yes, we need to recirculate our waste to make a good use of it. Yeah, and, and I think that brought like an interesting point maybe to this not related to the waste shipment regulation that we are talking about but just to kind of make an excursion into this innovation space which you're trying to also reinvigorate and promote with some of these regulations and not all of these solutions are available now or they're very nascent you know so they are supposed to develop intact with the regulations becoming maybe more and more demanding and stringent but that also provided certainly a great challenge for the EU on writing these regulations because they will be changed. That You will need to write new solutions in and you will need to adapt your wording to cover a number of solutions that are new and that have not been available before. One reference could be, you know, uh, mechanical recycling that has been around for so long. Suddenly you have chemical recycling and you need to write that in. So I just wanted to say that because when you said also making fuels from municipal solid waste, that's also something that has to go through that journey of further development. So it just reminded me of this pretty important point. But uh, going back to waste shipment regulation. So what I said was, okay, how it functions somehow when you're trying to keep your waste within Europe. There are maybe some, let's say, questions raised over whether you could label some of your waste as byproduct or co-product and hence try and uh, ship it anyway outside of the boundaries. But overall, uh, I think the feeling is that the regulation will be effective in keeping or preventing this waste export. But then we have the issue as you asked yourself, okay, if you have a plant or you have waste and want to maybe ship it over the boundaries somewhere else to be processed within EU, and that may be more of a challenge because there are discrepancies and there's probably a lack of harmonization. 
the regulation on waste in each member state is different. Will it be aligned? Because waste is a new feedstock, is one of the new feedstocks for chemicals and fuels and so forth. Is this waste shipment regulation going to align what's happening in each member state? Or is it between each member state they have to agree one by one? Yeah, I, I doubt it. I think there will be differences between the states because it will be an overarching sort of guideline where some countries may set or impose their own boundaries themselves. The other thing is, okay, even if it's harmonized, it could still be very demanding. For example, in terms of procedures, different languages um, for the paperwork, it could still be quite costly and slow if you do want to ship the waste, even if it somehow is relatively harmonized. And then, you know, it brings the questions about how do you actually uh, maybe ship new streams of plastic waste, which uh, have previously not been shipped around in the same way because they were recycled in a different way or they were incinerated or landfilled. So um, I think in those two domains, there are certainly some outstanding challenges. So in terms of the procedures and the paperwork that will be needed, and then also in terms of yeah, contamination thresholds, when uh, is your waste on the green list and can follow just the lighter, like something called general notification procedure, when would it be actually on the amber list where you need to do way more paperwork? So I think those two are, are things that remain question marks and uh, work in progress, yes. To make a parallel to fuels again, I can see that from, uh, if we take the example of used cooking oil and animal fat that are two waste, maybe five, ten years ago, those were not used and those were not as feedstocks. And now they are widely used in Europe, but also outside. And regulation adjusted really quickly those are normal feedstocks for refineries. So I think regulations can adapt quickly if the market is pushing. So I'm actually quite confident that it would be the same for plastic. So things could be could evolve really rapidly. Yeah, that's a great example. Hopefully it will work out that way. So we just talked about the shipment regulation. And if I want to recycle plastic, what is next now? What are the next regulations that are important, Melitza? Well, I think that will depend on the process that you're planning to put somehow. So you could recycle your waste mechanically or you can recycle it chemically. And then again, there's a number of, of different technologies available for chemical recycling of plastic. So what you really want to know is, regardless of the process you're going to use, how do you, for example, calculate your recycled content, how efficient is your recycling, and you want somehow those definitions to be very clear. And those are in fact defined in some of these regulations that we mentioned already. So you will have, again, your packaging and packaging uh, waste regulation as a very important piece uh, of regulation. You will need to know when does your waste, for example, stop being a waste, when do you delist it and you it, it is treated as a sort of secondary raw material. So I would not call them, you know, there's no particular piece of regulation, but then there's these crucial pieces of regulations that we mentioned already, which will affect the clarity and the ease with which you can put up a recycling operation. So Milica, mechanical recycling is obviously considered recycling at EU level, correct? Yes. But is chemical recycling 
so basically you depolymerize or you make NAFTA and then and so forth. Is it categorized as recycling now for the EU regulations or not yet? It is. However, you know, sometimes depending on uh, how you read different wordings, then you may be in doubt. When does the waste stop being the waste and how do you take your waste through that recycling operation? Then there will also be differences between the different chemical recycling routes. So we are, we are coming maybe to another concept, which also leads us to the, to then the quality of recycling and different applications of your recycled plastics, where then the contamination level you provide in this recycling operation comes into play. So essentially, yes, it is written in. Somehow, a lot of the wording comes, obviously, with the mechanical recycling being state-of-the-art. So there is room for improvement, but it is there on par somehow with, with mechanical. Maybe I'm jumping a bit ahead, but you mentioned the, the amount of recycling or how to calculate this. Is it related to the chain of custody models, if I do mass balance? or Is it what you meant? Or can you elaborate a bit about this? Yes, and okay, now we've introduced a, a reasonably complex <laughs> I think, term. So with the chain of custody models and the mass balance, maybe we should also include the concept of like closed loop recycling, right? Or somehow how much of your product actually goes back to the same pool of material from which it came. And then now having, I think, those three at least put out there, I'll, I'll try to uh, explain maybe in, in simple terms. But essentially, you do not have enough material within chemical recycling to be able to feed a whole operation for, let's say, production of new plastic with this recycled material. So when you feed two products which do not have the same, let's say, physical characteristics, because one comes from recycled carbon, the other one comes from fossil, as you're trying to top up the rest of the capacity with fossil feedstock, you in the end get a blend where you cannot really detect where your carbon comes from. So it's like for if we have listeners who are refineries or work in refineries, it's like co-processing, let's say I co-process used cooking oil with a diesel to make a product. So I'm, it's the same approach somehow, correct? Mm -hmm. It's the same concept. Yes, exactly. Maybe for those that are not refiners, but just buy a fair trade coffee or cocoa or other types of products like that. That is also where you have often this mass balance where you may be buying, you know, coffee which comes from you can't really trace whether it comes from a specific fair trade plantation but you know that this percentage of the coffee you make will be made in that way and you allocate only that percentage to be labeled as fair trade so this is one thing where you need mass balance because you cannot detect the actual carbon then there is the closed loop right you want as much of your plastic waste to end up in new plastic if you have a recycling operation. Because the whole concept is that you're trying to take materials which would go to the bottom of waste hierarchy, you're trying to lift them up. So you're trying to avoid incineration and landfill, uh, in Europe especially incineration, and redirect somehow that material more to the plastic recycling. But in all of these operations coming from chemical recycling, you will lose some of the material. Some of it will be lost to what they call fuel applications. So for energy use, you may generate a part of your product will uh, go for 
either heating of your own process or can be then exported uh, for, for energy somewhere else. That is being very much debated and will probably not be included as recycled content fairly because yes, you are doing something else with it. You are, however, still displacing fossil carbon by having that uh, energy stream, but the whole circular economy idea is to have closed loop to the greatest extent possible. So you will um, probably have to forego some of these products that you produce within the recycling process. Just to understand clearly, so the commission or somebody at the European level is looking at this chain of custody mass balance approach, and there will be rules of how things should be done and how to make sure that recycled plastic is included in the production of new plastic. Did I understand correctly, Melita? Yes. So actually, there will be some rules that need to be in place first in a few years' time, which is, I think, a bit of a problem for the recycling industry because uh, it's first, I think, end of 2026 that the EU has committed to put some of these in place. But what we have already are certain certification bodies, such as uh, ICC+, such as RSB, which work on certifying these recycling assets and making sure that they comply with their own frameworks, which are aligned with where the EU wants to go sort of to the best possible extent. It is done now, like ICC, for example, or RSB are certifying use of renewable NAFTA to make plastic. In Denmark, when you buy milk from a certain brand, you have the ICC logo. So I guess this is done and this can be done, but it's more on a voluntary market somehow. So, But regulation is not fully in place. Correct, Melissa? Yeah, no, and there is a dialogue, I believe, between also the EU and those uh, certification bodies, and they will play somehow a crucial role because without transparency, without auditing these schemes, such as the mass balance and other chain of customer methods, will basically not fly. It's quite similar to what is done with uh, for fuels again with co-processing. So it's which approach, which can chain of custody models can be used and so forth. And uh, member states, as regulations were not in place for fuels, each member state did its own little uh, cuisine. I don't know how you call it. And then now it's coming regulation. But in reality, it was done before regulations were fully in place. And I think it's somehow the same happening now with uh, uh, recycling and chemical recycling. Okay, so now we can recycle our plastic. Regulations and definitions are in place. I'm recycling my plastic, making new plastic. Can I use this recycled plastic for anything? Can it be in contact with food, for example? Or are there any specific rules there? Yes, there are already rules for the plastic in contact with food. And then there's a specific part for recycled plastic in contact with food. And there, this contamination level, decontamination level, actually, in your recycling operation will play a very big role. Because for food contact packaging, you have very strict rules. You really need to decontaminate or remove completely the substances of of very high concerns and have a very high decontamination rate. And there, I think we will probably see a difference in terms of how favored are some of the chemical recycling pathways. There will probably be a difference where with maybe pyrolysis or gasification and going through the new plastic production, somehow maybe being easier to accept that you have a very high decontamination rate as you have catalysts involved, you have 
uh, you know, materials that are very, very sensitive to contamination themselves in these operations. While as for some of the methods like solvolysis, where you may need to actually do a lot more testing to prove the decontamination rates. And, you know, maybe it's a question of whether you will be going to get these high quality applications approved for your recycled plastic. You mentioned quite some technology now, pyrolysis, gasification, solvolysis. I'm also thinking hydrothermal liquefaction. Normally, regulation at EU level are quite technology agnostic, but here is regulation at EU level discussing each of these technology or are they mentioning specifically each technology because new ones could come or is it more thinking about how much should be recycled and some kind of properties? Can you say a few words about that? No, that's that's a catch. I think that the technologies are not really written in as such. So uh, the interpretation maybe of the wording will vary depending on the technology. So I'm trying to kind of preempt maybe how uh, one chemical recycling pathway would read some of these regulations and how another one would. It is pure speculation and certainly data will be needed to confirm all of these claims uh, and expectations that the industry has that chemically recycled plastic can be used in high quality like food and medical grade applications for plastic. Okay, Milica. So if I understand correctly, there's a lot of regulation ongoing and discussion about what type of plastic should be in contact with food. And that's really important. And also maybe which type of technology and the interpretation of the wording. Yes. And maybe, you know, obviously it is important, this last bit of this recycling regulation circle that we've gone through uh, it's important because obviously safety is is critical and then i think it is also important somehow for the business of these recycling operations you do have packaging being the dominant use for plastic in europe so being able to bridge that gap between you know just recycled plastic and recycled plastic for high quality applications is is quite important Milica, should we address a bit the targets in terms of how much plastic should include or contain recycled content? Do you have these numbers top of your head? And I guess each segment has different targets. Can you say a few words about this by any chance? Yes, let me try. Uh, so we had just a couple of weeks back then had this new proposal for the packaging, packaging waste regulation being published. And we have then separate categories, like for packaging. If we just zoom in on packaging, because obviously uh, many other types of materials will also have the recycled content targets. We have a target of 30% for context-sensitive packaging, which is made predominantly from PET. The reason for this is that PET is, is very well recycled already today. So obviously this is more ambitious than where we are, but it should be a very achievable target. And then we have the same target, 30% for the single-use plastic beverage bottles. Then we have another target, a lower one, and maybe an expectation was different for, for this target. But then in 2030, we will have non-PET-based context-sensitive packaging recycled content target of 10%. 10%, okay. Yes. And then we have 35% target for all the other plastic packaging in 2030. And those ambitions go up when we look at, for example, 2040. So you mentioned about 2030, but is it going to 2040, 2050 for these targets? 
It goes beyond, yes, to, to uh, 2040 and beyond, yes. I guess that's quite important for the industry to make sure that uh, investments are long-term and not only, uh, I don't know, eight years or 10 years. Yes, definitely. But okay, we have seen this, you know, scale back. So um, obviously nothing is set in stone. It is sort of an interplay between the policymakers and the industry to see where things go. And then kind of these interactions influence each other somehow. Good. Then maybe the last thing I want to repeat or return to is that uh, the overall recycling target for plastic is 50% in 2025 and 55% in 2030. And where are we now? Are we around 20, 30% all in all or higher? Do you know that? Well, in Europe, I would say we're probably at best at 20. Okay. So in uh, what was it? 50% in 25? Yeah. Are those binding targets, do you know that, like I know for fuels, each member state or at EU level, they have to meet those, otherwise it could be penalties. Are those binding targets or it's not clear yet? Yeah, I think those will be the binding targets. However, some things still need to be in place to, you know, ensure that there's clarity of what actually needs to be achieved. So whether that leaves maybe some space for differences in interpretation for another few years, uh, we'll have to see. And again, maybe it's possibly a question outside our field of expertise, but because for the tax and plastic waste, the member state have to pay. But here, if these recycling content targets are not met, is it the plastic producers that have to pay? Is it the member states? Or it's not clear yet? Well, it's a good question. I mean, it should be the packaging companies, but um, let's see how it all works out. Another podcast episode on this. It's not simple. Even for fuels, actually, each time I ask people and different member states, it's not fully clear, even for fuel producers. And the regulation have been in place for many years. So I'm not surprised this is not clear. Militsa, should we wrap up? I have uh, two, three questions left for you. Yes, let's go ahead. Number one is... REACH. So REACH is a regulation about use of chemicals at EU level. I think it started in 2006, if I remember correctly. Is it affecting recycling and plastic and chemical recycling? Yes, it is. Uh, Maybe I would say somewhat less if you want to make a completely new chemical and you have to, you know, build your REACH dossier from the bottom. But it is related to REACH because any uh, substance that that is not a direct drop in or does not exist in the REACH database already needs to go and be REACH registered. So we have that situation where we create within the recycling processes these new intermediates. Those need to be REACH registered. They often resemble something uh, else that is already there, um, making things maybe a little bit more simple. But essentially, REACH is part of your regulatory somehow journey or bureaucracy if you want to be involved in a project doing recycling or plastics. I don't see this as a showstopper for recycling. Is that also how you see it? I agree with you fully that it REACH should not be the, the showstopper. REACH obviously always works towards more and more stringent or more and more safe products. So more stringent demand and uh, products that really live up to the requirements uh, that are up to date with the latest um, knowledge that we generate. And as such, REACH will always drive also your plastic to that you start with to be more safe uh, and, and then hence also kind of influence what you uh, 
will have in your waste plastic and then taking that through the chain. So uh, which will always be somehow part of this. My almost last question is about ETS, so emission trading scheme. It's basically a tax on CO2 for around 50% of the uh, energy used in Europe for electricity producers and so forth. Is ETS somehow connected to plastic? Because I know now they're reforming to include marine and aviation, but is plastic has nothing to do with it or is it somehow connected? It's a good question. I mean, if you were to have, for example, ETS payments for the incineration and the CO2 you maybe put out that way, or if you had a chemical industry from fossil feedstocks as part of the ETS scheme, then I think it would be directly related to this as you would be comparing you know, one solution maybe against the other in terms of the economics and the ETS scheme put in place or enforced on incineration and maybe chemical production in general would favor recycling routes. But um, as such, there's nothing concrete for now. But it's somehow connected to the way you calculate greenhouse gas, right? And doing proper LCA on this recycling because that ETS tax to pay is proportional to the CO2 emissions. And we, I know we could spend a lot of time on this, but is a greenhouse gas methodology in place for recycling or is it still being debated? <laughs> that, that could be, I think, an episode on it, in its own <laughs> right. Uh, the LCA on the chemical recycling. It will tie together with what we mentioned on the mass balance approach. And then again, as you don't count your fuel towards uh, the recycled content in your product, the same way you have a question of, you know, what do you do with that fuel and how would you uh, factor it in in the LCA? And then again, yeah, what is your baseline? What do you compare yourself with? But I think, for example, now that we mentioned incineration, should you compare, you know, putting your plastic waste through the incineration or through chemical recycling or mechanical recycling operation, you would probably have a better situation if you did recycling. And that is maybe where these calculations, yes, will come into play in the future. Yeah. Yes. And last question for you. It's more like a high-level, almost philosophical question. So the European Commission wants rightfully to minimize plastic waste, but also the chemical industry wants to recycle more. So will there be enough waste to recycle? Aren't those trends not opposite or how do you think this will work out? Well, no, I don't think they're they're working against each other at all. They're complementary because, I mean, as you need to manage your waste better, you certainly need to manage your resources better and generate less waste. So both are part of this transition to circular economy. But one part which is important and is sort of a prerequisite actually for the whole thing is again this whole infrastructure related to waste collection and the systems for handling waste prior to entering maybe a recycling operation and that is maybe a topic that deserves attention and that is also something that is coming up because you cannot kind of leave that piece of your policy behind and there's a number of work to be done there as well. So this is, I think, a very good question that, you know, obviously for all of these that we discussed today, to be relevant, another piece of regulator needs to be strengthened. Excellent. I don't have any more questions for you, Milita. Thank you so much for elaborating and enlightening me and hopefully our listeners as well on this. Is there anything else you would like to add before we close this discussion, Milita? Uh, no, I just wanted to thank you for the conversation. 
Yeah, as always, it's it's complicated. It's not straightforward. It's down to interpretation. And then looping back to the very beginning of our conversation, it's not our main expertise. But I hope that we managed to kind of break down some of these pretty heavy parts of legislation into more digestible listening to the audience. You know, we use probably the terms and the logic that we use to to explain it to ourselves. So thanks a lot for trying to get some of the information out of me and then chipping in yourself. My pleasure. Anytime, Melitza. I'm happy to come back to your podcast. Just say the word. Well, that's what I have. Thank you very much, Melitza. Bye-bye-bye. Bye. Melissa, that was a super interesting talk with Sylvain about the legislation, especially in, in Europe, I think. Yes, yes. I mean, Europe as the kind of the model probably for our legislation around the world later on as geography at the forefront of the legislation within recycled plastic, I think is, uh, is the one that deserved a deep dive. Yes. And I'm just thinking about what have we seen of regulation in the rest of the world, because I think... The plastic is recycling is so interesting because you actually have a pull from the consumers who wants something more sustainable. The brand owners are addressing that to a certain extent. And then you have the legislation, but the legislation is primarily in EU. But I think it has a global impact. First of all, yes, the brands are global. They're going to want to go for a global solution and roll it out globally. Somehow, you're right as well. Public opinion matters a lot, and it is global. And with that being said, what is a sustainable solution, right? So somehow the policy needs to at least support, ideally decide and support the transition towards that sustainable solution. And yes, relatively little has been seen elsewhere. However, Europe has done somehow the hard work that can then be hopefully with less time implemented and gone through somewhere else. Europe is also, you could say, a little bit special yes. with uh, maybe slower processes, but very thorough with a lot of different um, options being explored. So what I expect we will see is that, for example, in the US, we already see chemical recycling being in 22 states, I believe, defined as a manufacturing process. So somehow something that actually yields value that yes. is not put in the same bucket as incineration. And that's a start. So I'm pretty sure that we will see some recycled targets outside, in, of the EU. outside of the EU. Yes. But I think also it's so interesting because if the legislation is not yet there, what needs to be in the legislation to make it happen? So if you and I were to be legislators for one day in plastic globally, what would we then focus on? That's a really uh, another hard question. I'm sorry. But it's just <laughs> like you have so many steps because you're dealing with waste, right? You're dealing with all the bins that we see all around us, the domestic waste bins that municipalities will collect. So you need to somehow pull all of that together. So collection is important to address. Then sorting inevitably needs to be addressed because none of your technologies for recycling works unless you have more or less sorting. Then you have to encourage somehow the technology that is there to promote recycling to reach certain scale. So once you have all those 
blocks in place, then you want to scale, right? Then you want to hit yeah. certain targets, realistic targets, and gradually ramp up. But I'm also thinking, in, mm-hmm. in Denmark, we have this system that if you go and buy a bottle of, of a soda, then you pay an amount for the bottle. And you get that in return when you return the bottle. What if that was being made for all kinds of plastic? And and of course, there's the sorting issue. And and I totally understand that this, I think for me, the sorting of the plastic is the main obstacle. Because if it could just be sorted right, then it would be much easier to recycle. I also know that in Germany, you are allowed to unwrap Like you go to the supermarket, you buy lots of stuff. You're allowed to unwrap. The I didn't stuff know that. That's uh, and return the plastic packaging at the store. Yeah, and I think this is also part of the solution. And and I just think it's so interesting thinking about what would make it happen. And I think one of the points is sortable, but also attaching a value to it because when you're walking the streets in a big Danish city. You don't see bottles lying around. No, but that's this, you know, part of this extended producer responsibility where the producer incentivizes the consumer to get yes. back the packaging that was put on the market. But I mean, it was actually very good. I didn't know this about the German supermarkets and so on, but actually that all addresses still only packaging, right? And we yes. have a long way to go. Packaging, of course, being probably the low-hanging fruit, the first thing to address. Also, yeah. the shortest lifetime plastic. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you will need to come up with other solutions or similar solutions, but in other plastic uh, applications, right? Like, you know, appliances, etc. Uh, that will also bring back that material to where it can be yeah. recycled. But don't you think that if we're looking at plastic recycling, so... Let's imagine a future 20, 50 years from now where you're not talking about waste, you're only talking about resources because fossil oil is now like $300 a barrel or or something. Just make this experiment that what happens if we don't have the fossil, then you really need to reuse the plastic. And if you need to do that, it will have a value because if you don't recycle, you don't have the feedstock for your new plastic. Yes, and that's a good point. I think, unfortunately... We will see this. And how do you actually regulate the price of that feedstock so that there's a balance on the market yeah. will be a very good... Um, But it could be the better the sorted, the higher the price. Absolutely. <laughs> It's usually correlated. Yeah. But I think we will have to wait and see. And also we'll have to wait and see as the the policy interplay with that uh, yeah. and whether it gets sort of involved in, in that. Because sometimes... That is sorted through market dynamics. We'll we'll have yes. to find out. But maybe I just think that it's important to take the entire life cycle into account when you're legislating about it. And and it's clear that we see that these places where legislation is, then there's the highest amount of recycling. So we need that to be implemented in other regions as well. Yes, I think that's a very good uh, sort of message that you basically need to look at things in a systemic way and uh, the legislation definitely does contribute to the recycling rates and recycled content and it's a model to kind of mimic other places. I agree. 
That's pretty much it from this episode of our Circular Plastic Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for the next episode where I'll be talking with Dina Risepa from Eastman about chemical recycling. And as always, don't forget to share this episode with colleagues and other interested parties. Bye-bye!